I think a lot of people will probably be able to tell from watching your YouTube channel and listening to you here that even though you are in New Zealand, you're not from New Zealand. So how is it that you ended up there? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So I've been here for about seven years and I came here for two reasons, really. The first, I guess, is to be with family. My mum, she came here about 17 years ago now with my younger brother. And when she left, I obviously stayed in the UK. I was a young guy. Then I was like 20 years old, uh, enjoying my time there with my mates. And I'd, I wanted to stay there. Um, but then before I came, I was just graduating from university. And at the time, it was at the end of the GFC. So, you know, 2012, 13, uh, there was a lot of competition around for work. And I just kind of felt like there was better opportunities for me in New Zealand. So came to New Zealand for to be with family and to be with, you know, for more work opportunities, really. And were you a photographer before you headed over there? Or is that something that you picked up in New Zealand? Just started, actually. I just started. I kind of, it's kind of interesting how I got into photography because um, I've always loved being out in mountains and in the landscape, but never really had a proper camera. You know, I always took snapshots on my phone and then I got the opportunity to buy a camera by, it's quite interesting, through having Tesco club card points. I'd spent quite a bit of money with them at one point and I'd had enough, I got enough points to, um, buy my first camera which up back then was a Lumix GX1 I think it was a mirrorless little mirrorless thing um, so that was my kind of entry into photography and that was around about 2012 so just before I came here I mean it's pretty lucky right you you get into photography or you start to get into photography and then you end up in probably the most photogenic country in the world do you think that fed into you really developing as a photographer it did. And to be honest with you, it was part, probably part, one of the reasons, one of the, you know, the lower on the list reasons why I really wanted to come here as well, because, you know, everybody's seen Lord of the Rings, right? And, um, you know, the, it's, it's, the landscape is, is truly amazing here. Let's talk about landscapes. I have to come clean straight up front and say it's probably the thing I'm comfortably the worst at. I don't have the technical knowledge. I don't have the patience. And I definitely don't have the ability to offset other parts of my life to be out and about at the right times of day. And then if you probably add in the fact that I'm a little bit fat and I'm terrible at hiking, that probably helps as well. <laughs> Let's talk about the fact that you shoot landscapes on film, because obviously there's going to be a huge, there's going to be a huge issue there with not having that immediate feedback on something that's potentially not repeatable because of like, you know, natural conditions and stuff. How hard is it to shoot landscapes on film? It, it, yeah, it can be easy, but it can be difficult. It depends what sort of film you shoot, to be honest. And also the type of camera that you're using. Um, you know, if you're shooting negative film, there's far more forgiveness because of the dynamic range of those films. And it can be quite easy, particularly if you've got a camera that's got a built-in meter. But with my recent camera that I'm using, my Hasselblad, it doesn't have a light meter built in, so I've got to use a light meter. And I also use quite a lot of slide film, and that's not as forgiving as negative film. And so, for example, today I've been scanning some Fujifilm Velvia 50 that I shot a couple of weeks ago uh, for a project that I'm working on called Volcanic Aotearoa, which is... Aotearoa is the indigenous name for New Zealand. So I've got this little book zine type project that I'm working on. And um, I've been scanning these slides today. And it turns out that my metering 
isn't probably as accurate as it should be. And it's quite frustrating, but in that respect, it's it's quite a a hard learning curve. You know, your mistakes really stand out and it and it forces you to be a better photographer. It kind of really, you know, the mistakes really stand out. So now I know that next time I go out, I need to just be a bit a bit more vigilant with my metering and be a bit more liberal, where I was probably being a bit conservative because some of my shots were underexposed. When do you make the decision on what film stock you're using? Because obviously some of the places you're going to, I'm assuming you can't jump out of the car at the car park and walk over to the best view in the world. Some of them you're going to have to really hike to get to. So how do you know what's the right stuff to bring and when it's the right time to use particular stocks? Depending on the, I guess, depending on the time of day that I'm going to be shooting and the type of shot, if I'm going in, because I pay a lot of attention to the weather, obviously, because that does play a role in the type of shot that I'll do. Um, for example, if it's really cloudy and overcast, I'll probably gravitate to more was uh, a black and white film where I've got a chance of kind of sunset or, you know, uh, twilight light, then I'll gravitate to a slide film. <laughs> if I'm, if I know that I'm going to be shooting in the day, then I might bring with me some negative, colour negative film. And then obviously black and white as well. I've yep. always found using black and white on location for landscape photography to be really interesting because it has to be a really deliberate choice. It's not like when you photograph people, you can kind of use black and white to cover up a lot of general issues. Yeah. What is it that makes you decide that a scene is a black and white scene? Uh, no colour, basically. The colour has got to be really dull. Right. Like if there's no colour that's worth capturing, then I wouldn't try and force the colour, if you know what I mean? Because that's, yeah, it doesn't work out. The, the images don't work out that well when you try and do that, in, in, in my experience. And you've mentioned that you're bringing a Hasselblad with you. Uh, what Hasselblad and what lenses are you bringing with it? So I've got a Hasselblad 503CW, which is the last, that's the last um, fully manual mechanical Hasselblad camera that they made. And I've got a 50 mil lens, which is equivalent of 25 or 28 millimeter in full frame format. I've got an 80 millimeter lens, which is the equivalent of 50 mil. And then I've got a 150 millimeter lens, which is the equivalent of around about 80, 90 millimeters in full frame. And do you find that's a lot of weight to carry, obviously, when you're doing any kind of hiking and stuff? Well, I haven't really done much hiking with my Hasselblad because of COVID and... Oh, yeah. Um, if, if you've watched my channel, you'll, you might have seen that I actually had... Um, surgery on my back about 12 months ago i blew a disc in my right. back um so i haven't really done much hiking with it but it is you know it is heavy it's a lot heavier than the mamiya 7 that i had and to be honest if i was going to do like a multi-day trip then i'd probably try and get a mamiya 6 or something like that for that sort of trip because it yeah it is quite heavy i mean obviously bearing in mind bad back and stuff but also in terms of general convenience, we're in a kind of a convenience age. Do you ever think that it would just be a lot simpler for you to just switch to digital? Yep. Sometimes I think about that all the time. Like I was thinking that just earlier because, you know, these slides that didn't work out well. And every time that, you know, something goes wrong, I often think that, if, you know, if I just had a, a digital camera, it would just be so much easier. But, you know, there's digital cameras are, are so convenient. Um, and I kind of really love the process of working with the film cameras. And, you know, there's always a bit of a mystery with, you know, with what you're going to get. And uh, that's, and the anticipation of, 
you know, taking your film out of the camera and then sending off to the lab and then waiting for some time and then you get it back and, you know, you put it on the light table and it, it's, it, there's just so much more excitement involved, I think, for me that I really, really appreciate from film. So it's the delayed gratification and the process that, that's sort of keeping you going with film. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of of Bruce Percy and I don't know if you know him. He's a... He's part of the reason why I shoot film. He's a he's a fantastic um, landscape photographer, educator, and you know, lead, uh, in in my opinion, a, a leader in in landscape photography. And he's a Scottish photographer, and um, he'll often talk about you know removing the emotional connection with your images because you know when you're in the moment and you're taking that image, there's so much emotion attached to it, and you know, once you get back to your computer, that emotion's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes when you get the image on your computer, a digital image I'm talking about, you know, perhaps the emotional expectations are not the same as what you've seen on your screen. But when you're dealing with film, it's different. And Bruce talks about this all the time. You know, you send your film off and it takes ages for it to come back. And then there's the process of scanning it. And it, the longer you leave it, the less emotionally attached you are to your images. So you're, you're looking at them with a fresh perspective and um, you take them for what they are in, in a much easier way. Yeah. It's a real problem with people photography as well, where you've grown either a bond or a dislike to someone that you've been photographing. And then when it comes to going back through the images and making your selections, you actually get quite influenced by what you remember of the moment as opposed to the actual photo itself. So it's really hard sort of skill to learn. Yeah. One thing with landscape photography is, is patience. And I'm, abundantly lacking in patience i'm i'm the most impatient person in the world is it something you can learn did you have to learn to be patient with it or is it something that you think patient people gravitate towards landscape photography uh i think yeah you've definitely got to learn a bit of patience um i'm just reflecting on you know when i first started out and um i was so desperate to see you know great images um and you've definitely you get it. You definitely got to learn to take the rough with the smooth and appreciate, you know, that you don't always get it right the first time. And it is a waiting game. It's about, it's about putting yourself in a position to capture a great image. And if you do, you're lucky. And if you don't, then you might learn something that'll help you the next time around. And other intangible qualities that come with being a landscape photographer, what else do you think Outside of the technical knowledge of the camera, what else do you think a great landscape photographer needs to have in terms of like a tangible, intangible skills? I think to to be a great landscape photographer, I think you kind of got to develop a bit of a style. I think you've got to be, you know, you've got to, as a skill, you've got to be able to create a style for yourself, I think, and stand out from other people. How do you go about learning to develop that style? How do you develop your own style as a landscape photographer? Um, I guess you've got to you've got to be able to look at your images and kind of see what the strengths and weaknesses are, and then you've got to be able to. I would you've got to be able to look at your images and in collections and look for similarities. And you know, if you, but I, I don't always go out just to make one image as well. I always go out to create an image that would be part of a collection. Okay, and I think that the more you do that the more you refine your style and and you start to develop your own style. How often do you find yourself revisiting the same locations? Because obviously there's going to be places that are just nice places to go to, but there's also going to be places that you're going to want to photograph in different conditions, I'm assuming. 
Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I've, I, I constantly revisit places, constantly revisit places. And um, like I was saying, I've got this project that I'm working on and there's other projects in the future that are, you know, related to other areas of New Zealand. And I, I will continually revisit those locations over the next couple of years with a view of hopefully getting a reasonable collection of images that I could present in um, a small book. Um, that kind of gives some justice and sheds some light on, on, on those areas. And, you know, like I've said, one of them is the volcanic New Zealand one. Another one in the future is potentially going to be about the Northland, the far North of New Zealand and the sand dunes up that way. And I'm, you know, I'm planning a trip up there this, this uh, summer holidays in New Zealand. So in Christmas time in New Zealand, it's really warm for us. So, and that's when everybody has the holidays. So I'm planning a family trip up there for about a month, hopefully. And there's some sand dunes up there that I'd like to go and visit. So yeah, I'll just continually revisit them. I'm assuming that obviously, like you've mentioned, shooting film means that you don't have instant feedback on what you're doing. But outside of that, the fact that you're so reliant on natural elements, and especially in a part of the world that seems to have so much, uh, so much of a volatile nature when it comes to natural elements, you must end up with unexpected results quite often. So you go out with one idea in mind and you come back with something completely different. Is, is learning to adapt to that difficult? Or is it something where if you don't get what you expected, you're just going to come back anyway? Yeah, I generally have like a bit of an idea of what I'm going to do. And just touching on a, on one bit there, Chris. So you kind of most most of the fun, you know, most of the great aspects of New Zealand in terms of landscape. Most of that is in the South Island. I live in the North Island, and I've been down to the South Island, but I don't get to go there that often. So most of the work that I'm doing at the minute is in the North Island. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some good geothermal and volcanic. Um, landscapes in the North Island. Most of the or most of the geothermal volcanic is in the North Island. But like to try and diversify my portfolio a bit more, I'm having to really kind of push the boundaries of my creativity by challenging myself by putting myself in these locations like the far north of New Zealand, where it's really remote and bare in some ways, and try and go there and try and create something. Um, so I really try and push myself in that respect with landscape photography obviously you're going to have days with bad weather what's a good bad weather subject i would say a good bad weather subject in in, in the north island of new zealand is the west coast of new zealand it's mm-hmm. um so the west coast is it, the Tas- it's where the tasman sea is it's notoriously a rough sea huge waves um very popular with surfers and it's black sand as well um, and it makes great, great bad weather subjects because you've got the, you know, the really contrasty clouds with the sea, sea air coming in and the black sand. And it's great for black and white photography. And like I said earlier, the way that I found you was through YouTube. So one thing I don't know is why it is that you actually decided to start a YouTube channel? Because I imagine already doing landscape photography is there's enough things to think about to also be filming yourself while you do it. It's got to be quite difficult. Yeah. So I kind of got into YouTube. Um, I, I, there's a guy I worked with a while ago and he was, he's a photographer and he started talking about this guy called Thomas Eaton. And I was like, who's this guy? I don't know who this guy is. So I went online and watched his videos and thought, Oh, that was fantastic. And then I started, you know, researching and learning about, YouTube and the benefits and then I kind of it kind of clicked as with me as how powerful it could be of being able to connect with an audience and 
been able to, you know, tell people about myself and who I am and tell the stories around my images. And uh, it's such a powerful thing that I just instantly knew that um, it's something that if I wanted to be successful with it, that uh, that I would have to do. You said about the benefits. What What do you mean by the benefits? What are the benefits of doing YouTube? So it's, like I said, like being able to connect with people and tell stories. So I'm able to, you know, I can take an image, for example, and put it on Instagram. But if I take an image and post it on YouTube, there's a whole story about how I took the image, why I'm doing it, you know, the, the equipment that I'm using, and they can see the actual landscape around me and then they can see the image. I just think it brings the images to life a bit more. It's got to be like so much more additional work though, in terms of having another camera, having to make sure that's following you exactly the way you want it to be doing the exposures on that's right. Do you ever have the problem of kind of being caught in two minds while you're doing that and maybe not getting exactly what you wanted from the landscape work? Yeah, it's tough. And, um, I always try and prioritize the landscape photography at the minute. That's, uh, yeah. It is, it is hard, especially when you're first starting out. It's because um, you don't really know how to put a video together, um, how to tell the story, how to video yourself. The whole kind of speaking on the camera can be quite challenging. Um, so yeah, it, is, it is quite difficult. And I, I still don't think that I'm quite there with it yet. I think it's something that I'm going to be learning and evolving with over the next you know, five years. Do you think that like doing the YouTube videos while you work is making you a better photographer? Are you someone that's like really focused on the fact that you know there's going to be an audience to this? So you almost want to push it to be even better than you would probably do without the YouTube video being made? I never really thought about that, to be honest. I just kind of, I've just been working on a number of different ways to try and get myself out there um, that I've never really kind of thought that YouTube was the single most important thing. Um, it's just something that I'm doing, you know, along with being proactive on the other social media sites. Um, I mean, it's no secret that YouTube can be really successful for people. If you can gather a decent sized audience, it can, it can be quite profitable and, and, and a means of supporting me as a photographer and enabling me to go out and do, you know, bigger things. So it's early. I kind of see it as being early days for me. Um, we've just got to see how it goes and hopefully it continues to grow and continues to do well. I was talking yesterday to a photographer in Tacoma in Washington. And one of the things he was saying was that photography for him is kind of like therapy in the sense that um, he, he goes out before his kids wake up. He goes out, he takes some pictures, he comes back. So he's not missing any time with his kids, but he's he's kind of getting some alone time. He's getting to just focus on something else. It's a good way of him kind of processing his thoughts and whatnot. What is photography to you? Is it therapy? Is it a distraction? Is it a creative outlet? What is it? Yeah, so it's, it is, there is some therapeutic side to it. I definitely acknowledge that. Um, being out in the landscape and I love chasing, I love the chase element to it. Uh, you know, chasing the light, chasing the image. Um, I think my my style of photography is a reflection of where I'm going with my life. Um, you know, at the minute I, I'm still working. I work as a project manager in construction, and um, I'm working on a, a one of New Zealand's largest largest projects right now, and it and it's tough. And um, I constantly think about you know, do I really need all that? You know, do I need the big job? Do I need 
these all these things around me, you know, these objects and stuff. And um, I kind of feel like sometimes, you know, my creativity through my photography is a reflection of where I'm heading with my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I often get told that there's a minimal aspect to my um, landscape photography images. And I think that's a reflection of, of where I'm, I'm heading with my life. In terms of feedback on, on somewhere like YouTube, I mean, YouTube's known for having a fairly visceral comment section. Do you take feedback with like a grain of salt or are you someone that really pays a lot of attention to what people are saying about your work and makes adaptations based on it? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the negative feedback always stands out the most, but it's something that I always appreciate as well. You know, to, to be able to grow, you've got to be able to take the good feedback and the bad feedback. And that's something that I've learned with my you know day job in leadership. Um, so feedback, I always welcome it. I always take it for what it is. I don't dwell on it for too long. Um, I just acknowledge it and then just keep moving forward. With your, obviously your location now being so wonderful, it's probably a bit of a, a moot point, but if I could hand you a plane ticket right now to go anywhere in the world and photograph, where would you want to go with your camera? Probably Bolivia, to so the Altiplano in Bolivia, which is a, another location that Bruce Percy has photographed many times. And I've his work speaks to me in ways that I don't really understand. And um, I really look up to him and I've seen many photos of him from that area. And it's, they've always really inspired me to want to go there and see the landscape for myself and see what you know, creativity and compositions that I can put on that landscape. And it's just something that the area is, is, is really unique. Do you ever think about coming back to the UK and photographing at all? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I do, particularly in Scotland. It's an area that I would like to visit. Yep. Yep. So we haven't actually left me and my family haven't left New Zealand since we've been here. We've been here for seven years and we've been so busy uh, exploring New Zealand that we, we haven't been anywhere else, but starting to get to the point a bit now where I'm, you know, I want to get out a bit more and explore, particularly in South America and um, Asia and also go back to Scotland and even, you know, the um, Greenland and Iceland. I'd love to go to those areas now. I mean, you've already mentioned an influence and it sounds like a fairly strong one. Uh, do you take influence from elsewhere? Do you watch like movies and get inspired to go out and do to do landscape photography is that is that external influence to what you're doing yeah there is i guess so the other influencer that i really the work i really appreciate is a guy called michael kenner which most people will probably know his work is 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 amazing there's another guy out of germany that i found on facebook called michael schlegel he does black and white photography his work is his compositions and his use of tonal range in his images uh, is is outstanding and even though i do landscape photography like i i can be quite easily influenced and moved to try something different like i was watching netflix a few months back and there was a documentary about platon which you probably know being a portrait photographer and from watching his documentary and you know he uses a hasselblad and he shoots portrait 160 and his approach, how he uses a single light to capture the emotion in the eyes, just moved me so much to the point where I wanted to try that. And um, I haven't yet done that, but it's definitely something that I'm looking to try in the future. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I feel like uh, portrait photographers and landscape photographers are so polar opposites in the sense that 
I feel, and I'm obviously talking from one side here, but I feel like portrait photography is in terms of the actual work you have to put in so much easier. It's, it's so much more of a straightforward thing to do because as long as you've got a person and they can yeah. move, it's not, it's not like the landscape can move to you. So the person can come to you. It's, you can mm. rely heavily on that person being extremely photogenic for want of a better word. And, and the work becomes extremely easy. Whereas even with a really good looking landscape, it's still going to take a lot of work to get there, a lot of understanding of the right times and the right conditions to photograph it. And then you've got to also just pray that a lot of, of different elements fall into place for you at the same time. I mean, you've just mentioned, obviously, looking at doing portrait photography, but do you ever, did you, how do you think you would handle doing that? Because obviously, I feel like it would be so much easier in terms of the, the, the work up front. Do you think that you would enjoy it as much? Yeah, I think I would. I think, I'd, I mean, I always enjoy trying new things. Um, I don't know how I would approach it. I would probably, I'd probably try and tee up with someone like yourself and maybe, you know, go along and see how they do it and just tag along and just watch and learn for a little bit and then just, just have a go and just see what happens. Sometimes you've just got to put, you just got to, you just got to dip your toe in and just see what happens. A hundred percent. And seeing someone else work also will, will help you figure out a lot of the stuff that can kind of go unnoticed where one thing I do notice with photography on YouTube in a lot of cases is that people focus on like what camera, what film stock, what lens, you know, it's, it's all very kind of, I always say it's nowny. It's all about the things. Yeah. And sometimes it's actually about your, the way that you interact with the thing that you're trying to photograph. So if you're someone that, if you're someone that's photographing people, you don't really want to be uh, aggressively impatient or unless you're going for a particular kind of pissed off photo subject. And that's where I always find the interesting part is, is how people relate to the subject. And I think coming from somewhere like landscapes into photographing people would be a really interesting thing to see be figured out and, and also vice versa. Although to be honest with you, just if I was to make a YouTube video about me doing landscape photography, it would just be me getting pissed off at the fact that I've got to like walk and I'm getting tired and I've got sweat patches under my boobs and stuff. It wouldn't be too much fun. Let's do a bit of self-reflection here for, for yourself here. What do you think your worst habit is as a photographer? Worst habit? Um, probably changing equipment. I've changed quite a few bits of equipment recently. But, um, you know, I recently put out a blog saying that, you know, instead of changing equipment, you should probably just be happy with what you've got and kind of focus more on going to new places, kind of contradicting myself a little bit. But um, my, my current circumstances, you know, I've still got full-time employment, COVID-19, my injury, you know, I'm kind of stuck in what I'm doing now. So I've not been able to travel as much. So I decided to change my equipment, but that's just one kind of self-reflection piece at the minute. Um, what was it about your equipment that you felt like it needed changing? Well, previously I was using a Mamiya 7, and that's a 6 by 7 format. And uh, I would always crop my images to square format because I really love the square format. So I decided to change my camera based on that reason because you get two more images, obviously, on mm -hmm. a, a medium format roll. And also the ability to change the backs. You know, I saw it as a benefit to... Uh, the YouTube channel being able to compare film. Right. You know, there's a lot of people that are trying to, you know, getting back into film and they don't really know, you know, what film's good for what. And I saw it as a an opportunity for, for my channel to be able to um, put some videos out comparing films accurately so that people could learn about the different films. I was sat in front of me right now. I've got a 
Hasselblad 500CM and I struggle so much with, with photographing square format. Now, obviously, as we've already mentioned, I shoot people more than I shoot landscapes. But I find composing in a square format to be so difficult. When you were shooting six by seven, were you composing in a square format like mentally? Yeah, that's right. So the viewfinder that I had for my camera, it kind of indicated where the square crop would be. Right. So I was able to use those lines to um, frame up the square. And then moving on from your your worst habit as a photographer, what do you think your biggest strength is? I think probably the fact that I'm shooting film, to be honest. There's not many people out there shooting film anymore. And um, I think it really kind of makes you stand out a bit more. And I think, you know, also potentially my style. You know, I kind of feel like I'm carving a bit of a style for myself now. And it's it's different. I kind of feel like it's different than other people's work. And um, once you start to develop your own style, that's, you know, it's great to be able to, have somebody say that, you know, oh, I knew this image was one of yours. And that's, that's really rewarding to hear that. And are you someone that has like a long-term plan for what you want to be doing, say in like five years time, or are you someone that's just kind of taking things as they come? Yeah. So I've got a plan being a project manager. You've, it's kind of like, you know, it's in my DNA a little bit to plan things. And, um, so the, the project that I'm currently working on, it finishes in two years. So there's a plan for me and my family to downsize the house. So like even today, we was looking at a section, a piece of land just outside Hamilton City where I live and, um, you know, downsizing. We're going to build a new house that's going to reduce our mortgage by 50%. So there's a, I'm starting a process of freeing up my uh, financial obligations that, so that within two, two years' time, when I finish this project, um, I'm able to start pushing my photography more and I really see myself pushing it and getting involved in uh, workshops and, and doing those types of things. Doing an ebook, I'm slowly chipping away at an ebook. Um, yeah, so there is a plan in place because I've got a rough idea of what I want to do. Yeah. And obviously, you sound like someone that doesn't tend to make a, a move without it being extremely considered. But if you could look back now, obviously, over the years that you've been doing photography and give yourself some advice for how to get where you are, but get there quicker. What would you, what would you tell yourself? I think when I first started out in photography, I spent a lot of time trying to emulate other people's work and you know, that's good. And I think when you, when you start out in photography, you kind of need to know, you kind of look to try and understand what is a good photo and you know, you'll do, you'll go on Instagram and Flickr or whatever you, whatever you, you go and see your photos on and you, go on the most popular and you look at the images and you think, oh yeah, they look fantastic. I need to do things like that. And I think you should do that for a while, but I think you shouldn't do it for too long. And um, perhaps I tried to do that for too long. And I think that once you have honed in some skills, you should, as soon as possible, start doing your own thing. One thing that stands out to me massively with with yourself is obviously you're, you're extremely considered and extremely deliberate. How much room is there in your photography for improvisation? As an improvisation with, how would how you mean there, Chris? Like, Well, you can go out with a plan. And obviously when you're working with natural elements, there's there's going to yeah. be times where things don't work out. But also, you know, there's there's many times, I think, for all photographers where 
they go out with something in their head. They think it's going to look amazing. But then when they look through the viewfinder, when they get there, it's just not jumping out at them. Are you are you good at kind of improvising on the spot to find something else? Or are you because you sound like a, a fairly well planned person, which means if, you know, sometimes that can be fantastic. And there are obviously going to be some occasions where being being very kind of boxed in can obviously work against you. Are you someone that improvises if, it, if it's not working out through the viewfinder? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I always try and keep an open mind. I think you should always try and do that when you're out in the field doing landscape photography because you never know what's going to happen. Um, I've always got a subject in mind. and It's just how I connect with that subject through my compositions and the, the lenses that I use and the type of film that I use, that, that, and that will change. And that's where I try and improvise. I'll always try and connect with that subject but change my composition or the film that I'm using or the lens that I'm using or the location of where I am in relation to my subject. Um, and if that doesn't work, then I'll try and find another subject if there's one nearby. And if there's not, then that's okay. I'll just maybe won't take a photo that day and I'll go home and reflect on it and then go out the next day. And my last question, I promise, and thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Um, I don't want to put any ideas in your head and make you spend more money on gear because that would be really rude of me. But um, <laughs> have you got any interest in potentially looking into large format for your work in future? It's something that I do think about. Yeah, that's I do. Like I would, I would really like to get into more panoramic um, images, six by seventeen. For some reason, I gravitate more towards the traditional formats, you know, square crop and six by seventeen uh, are the formats that I, I like. Um, like on my eBay watch list, I've got a <laughs> six by seventeen camera there that you know that I'm keep looking at now and again, but I haven't pulled the trigger yet. I'm probably still learning a few things about my Hasselblad and probably need to master that before I need to, you know, before I move on to something else. But yeah, I do think about it. And I, you know, I watch Ben Horn on YouTube as well. He's another fantastic photographer and I really appreciate his work and the effort that he puts into capturing those images. But I always look at the side of his backpack and wonder whether I would be able to cope with that. <laughs> um, it's one of the funny things with film, right, is that you look at the digital world and everybody's pushing really hard to end up at full frame. And then you go from digital to film and everyone's trying to get away from full frame or 35 millimeter and push up as far as they can to like medium or large format. And it's just kind of funny that mm. even though there's obviously decades and loads of technology difference between the two the two formats, that everybody seems to be pushing for a bigger and bigger uh, sensor as it were it's kind of it's kind of a fascinating thing about humans right yeah yeah and that's something that i often think about as well and i think you know i went from i went from a lumix gx1 to an a7r when that first came out and at this point i was quite heavily into luminosity masking and i'd take multiple exposures and i'd get them on my computer and do luminosity masking i had these massive files and they were making my computer run really slow and i just kind of started thinking to myself, oh, I'm spending a lot of time behind my computer here. Is it, am I enjoying this or not? And I kind of decided I wasn't. I kind of decided that, you know, I'd rather spend my time out in the field and enjoy the landscape and try and get it right out in the field. And then I started questioning, do I need these massive files? What do I actually need them for? Um, and then I kind of rationalized down my equipment and I ended up going into a Fujifilm X-T1. And I love that camera and I've used that. I've still got it. And um, a couple of years ago, I, you know, I started feeling like I needed to change. I, thought, I kind of felt like I was outgrowing that camera. 
So I started looking at other cameras, started looking at medium format, and I just started thinking, you know, do I need another digital camera? I've already got one. And that's when I decided that I needed to return to film because of my previous experience with film and how that made me become a better photographer. And I thought that, well, if I'll just keep my digital camera because it still works, it still takes images, <laughs> it's still printable, and I can just move into a film camera and that'll make me grow more. Um, so that was kind of like my evolution, I guess, of the equipment that I've used. Um, I don't think I would. I sometimes consider getting a medium format digital camera, but I don't think... I don't think I would. I don't think I need it. I I quite often weigh up the wants and needs. That's the difficult part, right? About photography is like, yeah, it's it's almost like a hormonal issue where you're like, I'm not sure if <laughs> I actually need something or if my brain is tricking me into thinking that I need something. Yeah, that's right. People move, don't they? They, they I think everybody moves together in, into these new areas. The whole purpose of the podcast is for me to get as many photographers whose work I enjoy out there for other people to find. And um, the way that we do that is at the end of every episode, we tell people where they can go to find what it is that you do. So Instagram, YouTube, websites, anything like that. What do you want to plug? So obviously my YouTube channel would be a good place to start. And then I've got a website, stephenmilner.com. It's a great place. I've got some blogs on there that talk about my, I guess, philosophy towards the way I take my images. And I've got some links and stuff to the gear that I use for people who like looking at that. And um, yeah, Instagram and Twitter I use as well. And there's links to those sites from my website if people want to go and check those out. That'd be greatly appreciated. Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. No, really. Thank you. Thank you, Chris, for asking me to do this. And um, I feel really honoured and humbled that you've invited me onto your podcast to um, tell, tell people about myself.